Signs of Doom and Digital Transformation, A Tech Pioneer's Journey Beginning as a Mechanic, and The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of QuickBooks. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover here in episode number 144 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for today's episode. Likewise, I'm excited as well. This is episode 144. You can find new episodes every Wednesday. You can also find past episodes of this show by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. Great show for you planned today. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy components of transformation. So whether you're going through a digital transformation or an ERP implementation or any sort of tech initiative within your organization, this podcast is for you. So today's uh, topics are pretty widespread. We're going to start off our opening segment with uh, questions from the audience. So we're going to take questions that have come to us via social media, and then we'll get into a couple hot topics. We'll talk about signs of doom within digital transformation and how to fix them, as well as signs of failure and what to do about that within your tech initiative or digital transformation, ERP implementation, or whatever it is you're going through. And then later in the show, we'll have our first guest, who's uh, Ale Katz from Priority Software. He's going to be on the show discussing his journey, going from being a mechanic to a tech pioneer and an entrepreneur and someone who sold his software company to a bigger software company called Priority Software. So we are going to uh, discuss with him that whole journey. And he's joining us from Israel, from Tel Aviv, Israel, who'll be joining us here later today. And then last but not least, we'll have Christy Barber on the show from the third stage consulting team. Uh, she'll be on to discuss the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. A lot of our small and mid-market clients are still using QuickBooks or trying to move away from QuickBooks or trying to figure out how to optimize it. So we'll talk about um, you know what some of the considerations are there. And that's also relevant even if you're not using QuickBooks too as well. We'll talk about some of the considerations that you need to keep in mind as you go through and evaluate your current systems and look to potential uh, replacement options as well. So all that being said, let's jump into some of the uh, questions you've got for us here today, Kyler. Absolutely. Um, Well, we have our audience questions segment, um, which these are not just questions for Eric, they're for our audience joining us today. So I encourage you to pop your answer and join the conversation in the comments. If you would like your question or comment featured on Ground Control, um, please feel free to comment on either the third stage consulting group. Um, social media or Air Kimberling social media. We actually pull the questions from a variety of those. So if you'd like the question um, to make sure it gets in the the next episode, go ahead and tag me or Eric, and we'll um, we'll pull those in. But some great questions from our audience today, as always. Um, so our first question actually comes from one of your topics on YouTube, which is around change management and how to more effectively manage change. And this question is about change measurement. So how do you manage the change effectively in terms of measuring the the hard components of the organization? So hard components typically would mean strategy, 
solution and then actually um, hard metrics behind how do you measure change? Um, so I thought that was a really good question. We also have some videos on this on our YouTube channel and some previous episodes if you really want to kind of dive into the metrics around change. But I thought I'd bring it up here, Eric, for you to kind of give us a, a high level answer to that question. Yeah, so change management is oftentimes thought of something as very subjective and um, hard to quantify, right? It's it's sort of a, a feeling within an organization, a feeling of our people adopting the software, um, are people happy with the user experience, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, but I'm not a believer in just sort of going with subjective information that's open to interpretation or open to too much interpretation. So we do try to quantify as much as we can within an assessment of an organization's readiness and, and just the overall change management journey. And so what we typically do is we will quantify through surveys, which which are online anonymous surveys, where we actually do measure people's responses to different questions. So you're, you're taking something that is somewhat subjective and you're, you're turning it into a bit of a science. So at the very least, you don't get caught up too, you don't need to necessarily get too caught up in the exact number and whether or not we have a precise number to measure a precise aspect of change management. But what it does do is it allows us to look at trends, allows us to look at benchmarks to compare to other companies. And it also allows us to look at how your own team benchmarks to each other. So you might have different parts of your organization that represent sort of pockets to resistance or pockets of resistance within an organization. And by measuring through surveys, some of those outputs or, or some of those um, results, that's going to allow you to do that benchmarking and really get a better sense of where the pockets of resistance are going to be and where your change efforts should really focus. So it's a way to really take that subjective um, topic of change management and turn it into something a little bit more scientific and a little bit more metrics based, but it's, it's a great question. Absolutely. Um, definitely a really good question and a really good just overall strategic approach to be mindful of yeah. when you're integrating change management, that there are actually metrics to measure from. So great question. Thank you so much. Excited to hear from our audience too about the measurement um, of change. Uh, so let's move on to another question that actually comes from the overall um, times old argument of uh, waterfall versus agile. So this user asks, is there a hybrid approach that that helps in overcoming risks associated with agile, but not full traditional waterfall? Um, so I thought that was a really good question to ask you and our audience today to say, it, can you have the best of both worlds? Yeah, in fact, that's what we're seeing most organizations do now is they're they're taking more of a hybrid approach. And I think it's a smart way to try and get the best of both worlds, to use your words, and to um, hit that point, which is that you can still do, you know, the benefit or the things that are valuable within waterfall. So waterfall, for those that don't know, waterfall is an approach where you have more of a sequential milestone based approach to digital transformation. So you go through your requirements gathering, for example, you define your end to end business processes and requirements, and then you have a milestone or a sign off, and then you move into the design and build phase of the technology. Agile is a little bit different in that Agile would say, well, let's just start building stuff. Let's get it out to the user community as fast as possible. And then we'll take their response or their reactions to it and their feedback to it. And then we'll we'll pivot, we'll rebuild the software, tweak it however we need to. So that's the Agile approach. And so there's this whole debate going on in the industry of should we do Agile as a way to mitigate the risk of taking too long to go through a digital transformation? And it's a valid concern. It's a valid theory. But the problem is if you let the pendulum swing too far the direction of Agile, you miss out on some of the benefits of, of Waterfall. And if you stick with Waterfall too much, you're going to miss out on the benefits of Agile. So 
what a lot of organizations end up doing is they will do waterfall up front. So they'll define their end to end processes and sort of have that big picture blueprint of how processes are going to flow, what the requirements are, what the overall tech stack and the tech deployment is going to look like longer term. But then when they get into deploying the software, they go into more of an agile mode where they, they start to implement quickly and they start to get the feedback and they start to pivot and adjust and all that good stuff. So there are ways to do both. Um, I think you just have to be clear on what it is you're doing. And if you see a vendor that's too far to one side or too far to one extreme, you may want to ask them to to kind of bring it back to wherever you want to be. And, and by the way, even if you're in the middle, even if you take a hybrid approach, you still have to kind of figure out where on a, spectru a spectrum or a continuum you might fall as an organization, depending on what it is you're trying to accomplish. If you want more flexibility and speed, you probably are going to lean a little bit more towards agile. If you're looking to standardize and get more efficiencies and economies of scale and just to scale your overall company, if you're trying to act like one company, then taking a more of a waterfall mindset or erring on the side of more waterfall is going to be the right recipe for you as an organization. So you also have to do some soul searching on what it is you want and then figure out which, which approach or which end of the spectrum you might fall. And Eric, as a follow-up question to that, a hybrid strategy sounds like there's a lot of gray area. So is there a certain framework or how do you create alignment around the actual hybrid that you're going to use as far as an implementation strategy? Great question. I mean, really what you want to do is is back up and forget about agile and waterfall for a minute and before you make that decision back up and understand you know what is it we're trying to be here you know what is it we're trying to accomplish with this digital transformation first of all and and are we aligned on that second of all so i'll give you an example a lot of times we have clients or we've had clients in the past where the ceo of the company will say we are doing this project to become one company. We, we're a big company. We've grown through acquisitions. We have all these disparate operations. Now we want to start to act like one company. And that sounds great. You know, that's a, that's a fair mission and a fair vision for where you want to go strategically. But then what ends up happening is then the CIO comes in and says, okay, I'm going to lead a digital transformation. I'm going to go out and find some software vendors and some implementers, all that stuff. Um, implementers and software vendors come back with this agile framework that's supposed to speed things up and minim minimize risk and get more immediate value and all this great stuff that sounds good on paper. But what you've done now is you, right there, you've got misalignment. You've got a conflict because the CEO is saying that he or she wants this standardized model going forward. CIO is going down the path of this agile, let's create stuff quickly. Let's not worry about end-to-end -end processes and let's just be flexible. And that's sort of, that's running counter. So that's why you have to get the executives in a room, first of all, and define not only what does that mean when the CEO says they want that standard operating model across the board, what does that mean? Does that mean really every part of your business is going to be that way? Or maybe there's a certain parts of your business that are standardized, certain parts that are going to stay flexible or disparate or whatever you want to call it. And you've got to align on that and sort of flush that out as a team, as an executive team first, get alignment on that. Then you start to go to the market and say, okay, we're going to go through digital transformation. Let's look at proposals that best support that strategy that we're going for rather than creating misalignment by getting random proposals that don't match what your strategy is. Absolutely. Definitely something that engaging an outside advisor that is experienced um, is a great opportunity to kind of create your own hybrid because it's a great option, but it makes sure that you are able to define and align on the option, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So our last question today Speaking of um, that, those vendors, uh, this is on the cartel, the vendor cartel um, that you did your video on. If you haven't watched it, it's a great video. Highly recommend it. Um, just go to Eric's YouTube channel and search cartel. 
Um, but this is a great question. We've actually seen this in some of our client work. You actually brought in a client that this happened to to one of our executive workshops. Um, and we were able to talk to them. And it was one of the most memorable times um, that I really remember kind of this situation. But uh, this user asks, what should you do when the cartel, quote unquote, environment takes away a company's ability to manage their own IT strategies and road mapping? And even worse, some companies are so invested monetarily and emotionally that they have complete blinders on. How do you ensure that you still own your project without um, completely losing it to the vendor's sneaky sales method or support methods? Um, so very big question, but a good one. That is a really big question and a really, and a really good one too. Uh, it's very difficult to answer. It's such a good question, but uh, in some ways it's difficult. In some ways it's not difficult to answer, but the I'd say that the thing that, this person is onto is the dynamic. There's a really important dynamic that this person is alluding to that happens organizationally. It's sort of like an organizational behavior and an organizational psychology thing that happens in a lot of companies, which is executive team knows there's a problem or an opportunity to improve their business. So they go to, you know, a big name consulting firm like Accenture, Deloitte, or whoever, you know, in, insert big consulting vendor or big consultant name here. doesn't matter who, who but you know, one of those big consulting firms, and they think, okay, this outside consultant is going to bring in these outside perspectives. They're going to allow us to think differently and, and go a different path and, you know, take our business to new heights. That's the intent. Uh, big consulting firm comes in with their own agenda, which is, you know, how do we sell a certain type of software? How do we sell a digital transformation to this client? Because that could be a long-term client and a, and a long-term moneymaker for us. So it, it sort of comes in with this outside a, what's perceived as an outside perspective, but there's really an internal self-interest that's coming into conflict with the, the strategy of the organization that hired the consulting firm. So it's it's sort of like, a, I don't want to say it's misleading, but it, but it is. It's misleading maybe unintentionally, but it's misleading a client into thinking that, you know, there's certain things that we have to do if we want to survive. We have to go through a digital transformation. We have to do it now. All our peers are doing it. And so it creates a sort of pressure in this this urgency that may or may not be real. And then what ends up happening is then, you know, executive team gets sold on that idea, that vision, and then they go down that path, but they sort of outsource the strategy, they outsource the execution and the day-to-day -to, -day to this third party. And they, they sort of lose control of their company in a lot of ways. And it turns into a big money pit and gets off track. That's how, that's sort of the stereotypical generalized dynamic of how a lot of big ERP projects and digital transformations fail and get off track is because of that dynamic. It's, it's, you sort of, you've lost control. You forgot to look at yourself and say, okay, yeah, we, we do want to look outside the company and understand what's going on trend wise and all that stuff. But we also have to look at who we are. What's our strategy? What are we trying to accomplish and what's going to best align with that and start there versus what's everyone else doing or what is a, you know, what is a big, you know, SAP system integrator think we should do. I'll tell you right now and save you a lot of money, go to an SAP integrator. I'll tell you what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you to implement SAP. So there, I, hopefully I just saved you a million dollars by telling you right now what they're going to tell you. So free advice here on transformation ground control. Um, no, but that's the, the sort of dynamic you have to be aware of. Million dollars. Yes. I just saved you all a million dollars each <laughs> sort of. Oh, well, I mean, that's such that's such good advice. And, and actually, you know, the case study you brought to us as an executive team was 
the the really polar end of that is that the software vendor and company, I think it was SI actually owned the integration. So that was their own intellectual property. Um, so, you know, all of those conversations of not only understanding that, but that's so outside, like you would never think that would happen, but it is something that they utilize to be able to be in a monetary relationship with clients. So definitely so important to do your due diligence before entering in those relationships and have that level that we call it here at third stage of professional skepticism, understanding that these are important partners that are here to help you, but the ownership still lies with the company. So yeah, absolutely. definitely a great question. And thank you. Thank you for all of those excellent questions. Just a reminder, if you want to ask a question on transformation ground control, you can go ahead and tag Eric myself on any platform um, or just comment on the social media platforms for Third Stage Consulting Group and also um, Eric Kimberling. Um, we're always excited to engage with our audience and we'll pull some great answers out of the content here too. So I know, but we have some great hot topics. Speaking of those kind of doom and gloom situations that are actually built around failure. And the reason we like to talk about failure so much is because there's so much you can learn from it. And, you know, it's really an, an epidemic of failure in the digital transformation world. So with these hot topics, we wanted to bring some um, red flags that you can look for, but also some strategies you can implement to ensure that you avoid failure at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get to those hot topics here in just a moment. We're going to talk about signs of doom and how to fix them, and then also signs of failure and how to how to deal with that uh, dynamic within transformations. And then later in the show, stay tuned because we're going to have um, Al Katz from a company called Priority Software. He's going to be on the show talking about his entrepreneurial journey in the tech space, starting off as a blue collar sort of a worker and then um, starting his own entrepreneurial tech startup and then ultimately selling that company. So we're going to talk about his journey and his advice that he would give to us as a uh, tech uh, consultants or, or tech uh, professionals, I should say, within the space here. And then uh, last but not least, later in the show, after Ailes on the show, we'll have Christy Barber from the third stage consulting team. She'll be on talking about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. And uh, that's going to be an important conversation, whether you're on QuickBooks or not, quite frankly, doesn't really matter. It's more relevant to you if you are on QuickBooks, but it's also about you know what to consider and how to evaluate, uh, how to think about your current systems and what you do about potentially replacing those current systems too. So we'll get to those guests here in just a moment. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every week at transformationgroundcontrol.com. We stream live to LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and we also drop the audio versions every Wednesday to all the uh, audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And so you can just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see the aggregated uh, 
view of all those different sources of, of finding the podcast. So we've got some hot topics, uh, some really interesting ones that are sort of coming off the the Halloween holiday that just happened here uh, recently in, in uh, much of the world. So uh, we're kind of sticking with that theme. What are, what are some, of the, some of the hot topics you've got for us here today, Kyler? Well, first, I want to talk about um, why digital transformations fail. And of course, we have a ton of content just in the marketplace around why digital transformations fail, because so many of them do. So obviously, everyone in the industry, there's kind of an urgency to figure out why. Why do these so expensive, resource, monetary, heavy investments fail? Um, so there's a few that I wanted to share with you from this recent article from Tech Target. Actually, and I just want to share some numbers so we can kind of get the landscape of this impact. So in a, a, it's a, actually a Statistica research study that companies spend $1.6 trillion or spent in 2022, which is expected to meet, reach $3.4 trillion with a T, which is not even like measurable by 2026. So obviously a lot of financial um, money going into these specific projects. And some recent McKenzie research found that the long-term impact of the transformation is much rarer than you think. So survey respondents found 56%, so the majority, said that their organization has achieved most or all of their transformation goals, but only 12% report that they have sustained these goals for more than three years. So that's something I kind of want to dig into today. So they actually put it into three different buckets of failure that I want to share with you, Eric, and then get your reaction of. So the first bucket is called regression or transformation washing. So this is when businesses say they are transforming, but are embarking on initiatives that should have been done or implemented a while ago, things like e-commerce um, or something like digitization. The next bucket is called underperformance. So this is when businesses think small and really don't put enough focus on projects that can create new value for their business, um, getting some digital transformation benefits, but on a very, very small scale. So a, a more kind of phased approach. Um, and then the last bucket is actually digital product or service failure. So this is a situation where companies try but fail to launch a new digital product or digital service and are really forced to discontinue it. So those, according to this research, a late research from McKenzie, are kind of those three buckets of why digital transformations fail. So those are kind of different than a little, a lot of times how we characterize them here at Third Stage. So I wanted to get your reaction and kind of get the audience reaction to those three greater buckets of why digital transformations fail. Okay. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. So could you summarize the three, if you just summarize the three, three buckets real quick so I can come back to them? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the three buckets, again, are the regression or transformation washing, the underperformance, or the digital product or service failure? Well, I think digital product or service failure, I'll, I'll start there. Um, digital product or service failure is a common one. It's become more common lately with a lot of vendors that started off on-prem and they've moved to the cloud. Um, the whole reason for that being not because the cloud is inferior by any means, but it's because these are rewrites of the software in many cases going to the cloud. Now, this comment is not true for the more mature SaaS and cloud products that have been in the cloud for extended periods of time. 
Um, so when you think about companies like NetSuite or Salesforce or Workday, those are three big enterprise technology vendors that started off in the cloud. They've always been in the cloud and this is nothing new for them. Whereas when you look at like um, SAP S4HANA or Microsoft D365, Oracle Cloud, uh, maybe lesser so Oracle Cloud, but especially Microsoft D365 and SAP S4HANA, you've got issues with legacy maturity, legacy uh, R&D dollars that have not yet made the jump into the cloud. So um, so that's why you you are starting to see some of those breakdowns there. Now, um, so I think you have you do have to look at the product, the maturity of the product, not just the long-term roadmap going forward, but what, what can you get today uh, versus longer term? And then the first one, tell me the first one again, it was transformation, something with washing or... Uh, yeah, so regression or transformation washing. Um, so things that should have been implemented a while ago, but are kind of being wrapped into a digital transformation project. Yeah, and I think there, you know, maybe if I just broaden it or maybe take a slightly different approach there than what the study is looking at is I would say it's digesting what's appropriate for your organization when it's appropriate for your organization. So it could be that you're playing catch up and that you're just simply trying to get basic fundamental technologies in place. If that's the scope or the extent of the early stages of your digital transformation, that's okay. Then then do that, certainly. But what happens is a lot of times organizations over overcommit or they, they try to jump too far and they start to, for example, look at AI and uh, automation and all this stuff that may be a future state technology to get to. But if you can't close the books and just do basic, you know, end of month journal entries and things like that in your technology and you can't automate that, then don't worry about AI and stuff like that until you can figure out the basic stuff first. So I think that's part of why organizations struggle is, is just knowing what technology to consume and when. And then what was that? Uh, what's that third one that we haven't talked about yet? The third uh, category? It's underperformance. Um, so this is kind of what that statistic said in the beginning of you don't see the long-term benefits, right? And is that on the, uh, the, the implementation side? Is that what that's referring to, the implementation underperformance or the technology itself? The implementation underperformance. So not getting the full benefits or the metrics and strategic alignment around what you thought you were going to get as far as okay. impact, but you're not reaching that. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other two sort of feed into this. I mean, if you if you have problems in the other two buckets, which is the the product or the technology piece, as well as um, the the other component that we we talked about, as far as the timing of when you consume technology, then it's going to create underperformance. So I almost view that one as sort of a symptom of other issues. But at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do is accomplish business value and get an ROI from what your investment is. And you're trying to manage your investment, make sure you're not over committing dollars and time and all that stuff. Um, so I, I think that's a huge problem, but that's in my view, sort of the surface or the symptom that you're, you're trying to get to the root cause of. Yeah. Really trying to get that prescription of, of how you achieve those long-term goals. So an interesting way to look at failure. I'm curious to hear from the audience of what you think the main cause of failure is too. Um, and maybe we can ag aggregate some of those and, and take a look at them. Uh, but moving on to uh, those signs of doom and gloom and how you fix it. So I wanted to share kind of an, an a, a newer take on a few of these um, doom and gloom signs um, and then actually look at a specific case study um, to look at how those actually affect businesses. So the one I wanted to share with you from this Information Week article talks a little bit about the internal team. 
So this sign of failure or ways to fix it is an internal team that doesn't know the direction of the transformation, but also the delivery strategy. If a company doesn't have any internal talent with specific capabilities to manage the software, then they should hire someone that does or an uh, advisor and coach through transformation to come up with kind of the new state of their IT team or overall talent. And we talked a little bit about this case study failure in a previous ground control episode. So if you search Miller Coors, wherever you get your your um, podcast, you can see kind of our ground control feature on that. But Miller Coors really learned this the hard way in 2013 after spending $100 million on a failed ERP implementation without internal expertise or advisors to really steer the transformation and guide their implementation partners. So kind of the root of this cause is the need for that that guiding of implementation partners or that managing of outside resources to ensure that you're looking at those signs of failure and being able to manage it too internally. So kind of you know, building off of the question that we have earlier, how do you ensure that you you really align on that internally to make sure that you're preparing um, for that ability to be completely uh, independent within your digital transformation? Yeah, and I think that's why you have to look to your partners too and understand which outside third parties you're working with. Um, if you're working with a value-added reseller system integrator that specializes in or is commissioned to sell certain products, you're going to get a mindset and a mentality that's sort of a product first mentality of this is the software, this is how it works. These are quote unquote, best practices um, that don't exist, by the way. But these are best practices that are in the software, and therefore you should use them. It's sort of that product first tech first mentality. That's really the root cause of what gets so many companies and teams into trouble is that they look at the technology first and they believe outside consultants that tell them they should look at technology first and follow those best practices and then, you know, move forward from there. So I think having someone that's agnostic, that isn't afraid to say, we hold on a minute. Why are we trying to force fit the technology in this part of your business when it doesn't fit? You know, that's a conversation that most teams should be having that many are not. And it's hard to have that conversation and you won't have that conversation when you have someone who's biased, whose job is to ensure that you use as much of a certain type of technology as possible. So having someone that can sort of um, not run interference, but really help guide and be that trusted advisor that's looking at you, your business, and figuring out what the best fit is, and it has that broad um, universal view of the market to know that there's better options out there that might fit into a certain scenario or might help augment your core um, enterprise technology stack. Uh, that's the kind of mentality you need as someone who's only getting paid by you, the client, and is not being commissioned by the software vendor or hasn't built an entire practice committed to supporting just one software solution. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, even if they are independent and they're supporting just one solution, there is a bias there, right? Um, so yeah. great, great point um, and great hot topics. If you have more hot topics you'd like to cover, please feel free to drop them in the comments here um, and let us know what your doom and gloom signs are for transformation failure so we can pull some of those as well. Um, and the rest of this episode will be really helpful in kind of laying the groundwork to ensure that you have that strong foundation because that's going to be the main deterrent to failure, right, is an aligned and strong implementation plan.
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from the audience, you know, what, what the biggest signs of failure are, the biggest causes of failure are. I'd love to hear what you have to say in the comments. Um, love to see what additions you have there. Um, well, good. Well, well, hopefully we can uh, avoid talking about or avoid seeing these uh, doom and gloom failure types of scenarios by, by following some uh, implementation uh, uh, best practices. So uh, thank you. Even though I just said best practices don't exist, they do exist when it comes to implementation in general, but they don't exist when it comes to software functionality. So anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting lost in the, in the weeds here with, with, with my own uh, language. Um, so good stuff there with the hot topics. Uh, look forward to our next guest who's going to be on the show. Um, he's going to be uh, Al Katz, who is with Priority Software. He's got a really interesting story of how he started in his career about 30 years ago, close to 30 years ago, as a mechanic in the Israeli army. And then he uh, quickly learned technology and became uh, enamored with or gravitated toward technology and ultimately started a software company that became successful and then was acquired by another company. So we're going to talk to him about his personal journey uh, as a technology entrepreneur, as well as just talk to him about some of the trends in the market and just sort of what what to be thinking about as you consider potential software solutions in the marketplace as well. So we'll have Ail Katz here in just a moment. And then later in the show, after Ail's on the show, we'll have Christy Barber from the Third Stage Consulting Team, who will be with you, Kyler, talking about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. So be sure to stick around for that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can see the current episode as well as all the past episodes as well uh, at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So uh, excited for our next guest, who's a first time guest on the show. Uh, his name is Al Katz. He is the uh, he was the founder of a company called Soft Solutions, which was then acquired by a company called Priority Software. And Al is based in Israel. His company is an Israeli company that was then acquired by another Israeli company called Priority Software. And um, strangely enough, I was actually supposed to be in Tel Aviv hosting or conducting this interview. This week, we had had it planned for several months, obviously, until the war broke out. And then once the war happened, we decided that it probably was a terrible idea for me to travel to Tel Aviv, although I would have loved to, but uh, not a good idea at this moment in time. So we thought we'd still have the interview, but just do it remotely here uh, from afar, from uh, different continents here. So. Excited to have Ale on the story to talk about his career journey and his path, as well as just his view of technology and technology trends in general. So with all that being said, Ale, welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, first of all, before I um, before we get started, maybe just tell us a little bit about, about yourself and about your 
the company you founded, which is called Soft Solutions, which was then acquired by Priority Software. So maybe tell me a little bit just at a high level about your background and, and a little bit about you. Well, uh, first of all, I'm 50 years old. Um, I think I started about 30 years ago, back when I was in the army. So uh, it was a long journey, actually. I started, I started by mistake in the army. I'll talk about the co coincidence of that. And then I founded a company that was doing uh, software for business uh, companies, transformed to another company that went for medical uh, software. And then after that, I found, founded Soft Solutions, first as a software house that does projects, going on from projects and moving to products, and then from products moving into a platform. And at the end of the story, as you said, uh, doing a lot of projects with priority, creating the add-ons for priority, and then at the end of the day, priority acquires soft solutions. And now we're part of uh, happy to be part of priority software. That is the major, most common ERP in Israel and of course in, the, in many places in the world too. Right, right. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into that too. Talk a little bit about Priority and what Priority does and some of your philosophies on uh, technology in general. But before I jump into to my questions, maybe just a um, sort of off topic a little bit, but on a lot of people's minds right now is is certainly your, your safety is uh, of interest to us. But how are things going in Tel Aviv right now? Everyone's staying safe and out of harm's way for the time being? Yeah, Tel Aviv is in the central district. Uh, things are, you know, pretty normal over here, as, as normal as it can get. And here in Priority uh, offices, most of the people are coming to work. We're trying to continue, you know, business continuity. And um, people are basically coming over here. And I think uh, coming to work is a very important thing now because we want to keep the economy up and running. And then people, you know, when they come to work, this is the what they're on their mind and they don't think about other stuff. So I think it's very important for people, you know, to get out of the homes and continue business as usual, support the customers, and you know, just uh, continue the living, living the life as, as, as let's say, as regular as possible. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, good. Well, I, I appreciate um, you that that you're you're safe and that uh, that everyone is okay there with you and your team. Um, just as a quick side note, I hate to say this, but um, I'm already seeing some political comments in the chat. I will not address those. Um, I'm not here to talk about um, any of the political uh, underpinnings here, so I'm I'm not going to address those. I'm not going to get to those questions. So if anyone has comments and that sort of thing about um, the rightness or wrongness of the war, I'm, that's not what I'm here to talk about. So just to get that out on the table here. Um, now, I do want to um, maybe just to set the stage, um, this whole this whole story is interesting because you um, you have sort of a non-traditional background. You, you didn't come up the typical career path. You didn't go to college. And then you, we were talking right before the podcast about how you did not go to college, go to an entry level job, move your way up, you know, the corporate ranks that way you went, you took a slightly different path. Maybe tell us about how you, how you started out and how you ended up in the tech space. Well, uh, I think it was back when I was actually 16 years old and I wanted more, I wanted a motorcycle. And I, my parents didn't want me to get a motorcycle, so I was at school. And the only way I could get it was drop out of school, come to work in a motorcycle shop, and actually get a motorcycle from there. Then this, the, I, I can start, I think, back then as an entrepreneur when I said, okay, you know what? I studied how to fix engines, and I opened my own shop and started fixing the lawnmowers and chainsaws and stuff like that, and was making pretty decent money as a teenager. So... Moving forward, 
in Israel, after you hit eight, 18 years old, you're drafted to the army. So I started in the army and got to this uh, ammunition base that was actually, uh, I was supposed to handle, uh, let's say, the ammunition in the bunkers and stuff like that. And there was a computer system over there. And it was kind of, uh, you know, boring over there. There's nothing too much to do. So I tried to actually make the system work, but it didn't work. So what actually I did was purchase the book of the programming language that was written and studied the language and, you know, like a motor. And then, yeah, the thing, the way I learned to teach myself is by, um, you know, uh, assembly and disassembly, like trial and error. So I actually start trial and error. And we wrote a, a new application for handling inventory and stock in, uh, for the army. So a bunch of uh, generals came to see how everything became digitized and said, okay, if you have this talent, then why not use it for other stuff? And I said, okay, then I want my own job and I want to go to this uh, specific courses in an R&D unit and said, everything you want, you can have. And that's the, this did the transformation from, you know, uh, just being a regular soldier to do R&D stuff and uh, pushing uh, the software I created for the army and even continuing in the reserves. So that's like the, the army phase. Right. The next thing I, uh, that was supposed to happen was I was getting, I was supposed to get discharged or getting out of my three years that was mandatory. And then uh, they told me, okay, what am I going to do now? I didn't do, I dropped out of high school. I needed to complete my SATs, go to college. It's going to take me five years. So the reasonable thing to do back then was, you know what? Maybe I should start my own business, my own software house. And this will give me the opportunity to do the shortcut. Don't go through the, you know, five years of education and then start from the bottom and build yourself up. Just start from the big, just start as an entrepreneur, open a, open a company and nobody will ask your credentials. You know, right. I'll just take any, any job there is there. You know, I'll come to a company and say, what do you need? And it said, no problem. Everything, give me a few days. And a couple, and come up with a solution, and this is the way I started to grow the business, started getting into more projects, and uh, so on. So um, this is like, let's say, the first stages of our guide to the technology. Okay. Now, is that you started your software company right after you left the military? Is that did you go straight to yeah. start your own company? Okay. So that's a you sort of created your own path or your own your own career. That's a, that's a uh, an interesting and a, and a smart way to to handle it. Um, very interesting. So it also, it sounds like it started from a um, continuous improvement mindset. You were trying to fix a problem that existed in the military or opportunities for improvement that you saw. And then that sort of led to you going down the path of technology. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. I I mean, I didn't know too much back then. I remember the first, uh, I made, I came to this major company in the food industry and they'll say, we know we need a program. We need an application, an EIS application for our managers, and I said we needed to do it in Visual Basic back then. I said no problem. Later on, I said I just looked up what is an EIS system. I didn't even know what it was. What they were talking about. Right. So yeah, again, I, I started uh, to learn about Visual Basic at the moment I got the sales order or the purchase order back then, and. Uh, after a month or two, I came with the product and that's how I won the tender and continued to the next step. Okay. So you didn't have a specific software solution in mind when you started the company. You were just starting a company that could solve problems and you would go seek out the opportunities to solve those problems and then you would build a technology that uh, 
that solved the problem? Is that sort of, was that your mindset at the time when you started it? Yeah, I would, I remember I had a motorcycle. I print out, uh, you know, uh, business cards. I would go to a hundred business places, uh, companies, leave my business card out of a hundred, one came back. And each time I would get a project like that. The next uh, leap I had was I actually had a, a doctor from a oncology department that was looking for a software for managing uh, the department, you know, with the, what we call computerized patient records. And uh, so I met with her and I said, okay, let's start to do something. And every meeting, you know, we do the analysis and there's more and more needs. And I say, okay, this is something, it's not scalable. And for each department, it's something else. I have to invent something new, think out of the box. Mm. And this is when I went with the idea of building questionnaires. A questionnaire that will give the option to build the system that can work in every department because every head of a department could build his own questionnaires in the, uh, the, the, you know, the checklist they're doing for patients. And then each department will get his own database with it whenever, whatever he needs. And then it, it went viral. Like many hospitals, let's say uh, government hospitals started uh, acquiring the software. It was the first product actually. And uh, then uh, one, of the, one of the CIOs, one of the major hospitals in Israel said, you know what, this is very brilliant. Nobody has done it before. Let's become partners. And this is the first time I actually sold 49% of my company. Back then it was 1996, 1997. Hmm. And uh, this has got me started, you know, with the uh, concept of thinking about how to do products. And I you know this is how we thought. I first thought about how about you do things that are scalable not doing just projects, doing products. And this is and when you have a product, again, it's selling itself. Mm. So what you went, you made that transition from solving kind of unique one by one problems that you were building solutions for. So that project based mindset, you switched to this product based mindset, what was the focus of the products at the time? Was there a certain niche or function that you were you decided that this is the first area that I think has the most opportunity for me to build a company around, or how did you how did you make that transition? Yeah, I think um, uh, the moment I did, you know, the transition of, uh, I mean, there's the opportunity, you know, the moments I did the transition to create a product, and I did it for the hospital. I said I'm going to focus on this specific niche. It's going to be called CPR, EPR, computerized patient records, and it's a need that's all around the world. So uh, this has got me started. And at the end of the day, I, I think I was, uh, I had uh, my, the former uh, CIO of uh, this major hospital. I, I was with her for three years. And uh, then I said, okay, this is enough. I don't have, uh, you know, I, I think I majored in all the, all the section of uh, EPR, CPR. I said, this is, I need to go for to the next stage. And I said, I want to go back to the business, to companies, leaving the, uh, let's say, uh, the healthcare behind. And this is the one I did the transition and actually opened soft solutions. Gotcha. And soft, yeah. And soft solutions started again. I started, you know, getting projects and thinking about how can I create a product? So uh, the first thing, uh, I think it was back in 2002 or 2003, uh, what came out back then was uh, mobile devices with the pocket PC later on with windows mobile. And I said, okay, this is a very nice niche. I think I can do something with it. So I actually created, uh, started doing stuff for warehouse. And this is where I actually met Priority. I mean, for the first time I met them, I was saying, tell them, you know, I know how to do projects for mobile devices. There were no smartphones back then, mobile devices only. And what I actually did, I was creating 
uh, project for a warehouse. But again, it was doing, doing a, each time a project. And then I told them, you guys in priority, you know what? Let's think about a product. And one of the customers, I think, uh, said, we're looking for a WMS system. And this is the first time uh, I think uh, the, party, the guys in priority said, you know what? Let's make a, let's take, let's take this, uh, let's say this uh, concept of creating, a, not turning from a project to a product. And this, has, this is how we generated the WMS system. Mm-hmm. Party was actually building the back side, the back office, and we're building the client side. So uh, doing, doing that, this is the first product we did as an integrated system. This is actually when I thought, you know what? There should be only a single point of truth. What does it mean? It means that uh, there are a lot of third-party products over there. This is like a path. I can either create a third-party product and integrate multiple ERPs, but it's always going to be a project because there's always the integration project behind the scenes. And I said, okay, let's do now an integrated product. There is no database. There's no synchronization. It's just an add-on on on the ERP system. And back then, it was pretty new. Nobody had this option or this solution. So we started selling WMS, and it was like a, an easy sell. You know, it's an add-on. You, you give them the license, and they start working. And he said, okay, if we solve this, let's do the full supply chain. So we created another three products. One was for sales reps. The other one was for field service. And the, other, and the last one was for uh, truck drivers. So we had now the full supply chain support, and this was uh, going pretty well. But still, when you're doing a product, the problem is that uh, you're working with customers and they always bug you with, I know we need to this modification, this modification. So you create a configurator doing all kinds of best practices. You can configure the system. But at the end of the day, you, you're always, you know, you're running around to your tail. You're trying to go, you know, serve the customers. So this is when I said it's not scalable. I need to bring something more to the table. And this gave me the idea to do the transformation from product to platform. The concept of give, creating a platform was actually giving the, our resellers all around the world and uh, even the, our end customers the option to actually customize everything they want and be self-sufficient. And this is really scalable because this gives you now the option to actually now uh, you know, push your product and everybody can customize it. Sometimes I'm amazed. You know, I come, I'm coming to my customers and they come and show me, look what we did. Look what we did the pattern we created. Look what we did for production. Look what we did for, I don't know, for uh, for customers, for vendors, for suppliers. So I think uh, now I think it was like selling itself, and it was like multiplying all the time. So right, we're here with Al Katz from Priority Software, talking about his journey from being a mechanic to becoming a technology entrepreneur and pioneer in the industry. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and we are here with Hale Katz from Priority Software having a conversation about his journey in the technology space as a technology entrepreneur. Let's jump back into the conversation. Now, at the time you developed this this warehouse management system and some of the other functions like field services and some of the things you just described, had you sold your company to Priority by this point, or was Priority an investor, or were you just partnering with Priority to create that that initial WMS product, that warehouse management system? Um, I was an ISV first, so okay. uh, I was I, I was creating the product, but we're actually selling it as a priority add-on, as a priority product, and all the retailers around the world were actually selling it, and it gave us the again the opportunity to to be more scalable because we're using the resellers to push those uh, those add-ons, and and again it gave you let's say the opportunity to go to places where you couldn't go before. Why? Because we're, when we're competing against other ERPs, they said you know every time they will go like, okay, we have the ERP, but if you want a WMS, you need we are we have a joint venture with this third party, or if you want a field service, so we have another joint venture with this third party, and we were coming with you know the fully blown um, solutions and add-ons in one ERP system, and this was like the let's say main, major major differentiator between all the other ERP systems. Right. Right. Yeah, very interesting. Now we have, uh, just to turn to the audience for a moment, we have, uh, thank you to everyone who dropped in the chat where they're joining from today. Um, I see uh, people from, I see someone from Tampa, Florida, Denver, Colorado, Pretoria, South Africa, beautiful part of the world as well. Um, Belgium, Antwerp, uh, et cetera. So thank you for uh, everyone for for joining here today. And also I have an audience question I think is worth uh, getting to here as, as, as you talk about your journey here, Ale. Um, how did you harness others in your journey? It seems like all great entrepreneurs need a village of support. And this is from Kyler on LinkedIn. What are your, what are your thoughts there? Um, what do you mean by employees or by, uh, or by, uh, by yeah, customers? just did you, yeah, both. I mean, who, who did, it sounds like priority and partnering with priority and being an ISV of priority, that was a, maybe an early, um, driver of growth, but how did you, you know, how did you lean on employees or partners or mentors? I mean, who did you, who did you lean on or rely on the most as you, as you started to gain traction and as you, as you started to scale the company? Uh, you know, the moment you have a company, the first you start in your basement, like a one man show, and then you start hiring people. The thing I was telling uh, at least people are trying to hire was, you know, I'm trying to use cutting edge technologies, bringing new innovation, bringing stuff that people failed before and haven't done this before. And this is uh, how it actually attract, uh, uh, let's say, employees to work. And it were really, and it, and it was a challenge, you know, because there were like uh, other major companies that were offering like better salaries and stuff like that. But I was telling them, you know, it's like, think about it, it's like a startup, you know, we're called the startup nation. So, we're like, uh, you have the, every, everything was like, uh, you know, we're meeting people. I mean, I was meeting, meeting my employees the, on, on a coffee break and say, you know what? I have an idea. What happened if we'll do this and this and this? And, you know, everybody wants to code it. And after a few days, there's a new product or a new feature. And I think uh, the success of uh, the products, uh, you know, the concept that I was always trying to push to everybody was uh, if it won't be simple, it simply won't be. And the concept is, that I think if we, we we brought applications to customers and they start working with, with no, you know, with no explanation. It was like a, an immediate onboarding. I think this is something that was very, let's say genuine at the time. 
Nobody had it. All the ERP systems were very complicated. So harnessing the customers and the employees that were actually involved in everything, were actually visiting the customers. So we talked about boots on the ground, that we had to go to see how the product works, to understand the real challenges in each company. And this this what drove us and the customers and my employees to, to, uh, to make, you know, uh, let's say simplified products with the concept of, uh, I mentioned, uh, I think uh, before to you, the single screen application concept, giving you an app that you can do everything in one screen. For example, if you take the WMS system, uh, think about it that uh, you give something to the storekeeper and uh, there's like one field called barcode. And whenever you scan something in, in this field, doesn't matter, you can scan a batch number, a barcode number, a part number, a serial number, a pallet number, whatever. You can scan one thing and everything is automated. It doesn't need to do to think about it. And if he does and it feels irrelevant quantity, it jumps to the next item. If he finalizes the, the list, it jumps to the finalization states. Everything is, you know, in, in an ERP system, you ask a question, you get an answer. It's not leading you, you're leading the system. We took it to a totally different concept. We're leading the users to the job. It could be for the field, for, field service, it could be for the storekeepers, for the truck drivers. But I think the way we simplified stuff, this was like the magic that, uh, you know, behind the concept of soft solutions to make it that brought the customers, the employees and the, the resellers to actually sell it. It was an easy sell for them because it was an easy implementation. Right. And, and I, no, that's 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 super interesting. Now, when you look at when you look at the evolution of your company and then the the acquisition by priority and, and you've been doing this now for what about 25 years you've, you've sort of been in the tech space for maybe a little bit longer maybe 30, um, 30 yeah, 28 let's say something like that okay you, you and i are you and i are the exact same age so I, i'm just trying to do the math here of what i think your, your experience level is um but i guess my question is what what has changed the most with technology you know or, or what tech trends have sort of there's been a lot you know in 25 yeah. to 30 years a lot of different things that have come and gone a lot of trends that have evolved and, and grown over time, other things that have sort of faded and fizzled out. What is it, like, how would you assess some of the trends that most excite you both in terms of development and the evolution of the of the technology space? Okay, so this was a, this was a challenging, uh, let's say, uh, quest, because we started up, you know, with uh, Microsoft, we were doing .NET, and then smartphones came out. So we said, okay, we need now to go to Java and start creating uh, mobile apps. And then we want to do, you know, went out from desktop to web. So we needed to do Angular back then. So we had multiple programmers doing multiple languages. And I was thinking, I need to find something that could be not only cross-platform, but cross-programmer too. And this led us to React and React Native. And we can have one platform for everybody to use and reuse. And then if they have like, uh, I know if uh, there's a, you can balance between programs because everybody is doing the same, working with the same language. And uh, now, you know, everybody's going to AI and uh, data learning and analytics and stuff like that. So I think uh, the next trends we're looking for is not only just doing cross programmers, is actually to find, innovate, find new technology you can merge with engines that you have out there, like ChatGPT, or uh, if I'm doing like, I just uh, published a TMS system, you know, uh, transportation management system. 
And we do, we're not trying to invent the wheels. There's, you know, there's engines everywhere out there. So if I need an AI to optimize the route, I'm just uh, consuming one of the SaaS services out there. And uh, by the way, when I was looking for uh, stuff, new thing that we can, I can do, I met with a few companies over here, uh, some startup companies. One of them was actually doing um, the head display in helmets for uh, helicopter pilots. And they actually minimized it to sunglasses. So I said, okay, this is cool. We can put this in the warehouse. But, uh, you know, we tried it and it said, okay, it was, it's working, but there's a problem if someone wears glasses and stuff like that. So we're looking for most, more stuff. So the other stuff we found is something like with uh, hands-free. You know, we're always trying to look how to make simplified stuff. So uh, I was looking at this hands-free technology. It's like you have a watch and you have like a Spider-Man. It's like a barcode scanner with a video camera. So everything you do is you're like taking something and it's actually taking a video of what you did. And then you can put AI system behind it for vision to see if you took the right thing and put it in the right place. And again, there's a lot of new trends that we're working on in priority now to create, uh, again, new innovations. This is the concept. I think you have to to win tenders, to win new customers. You always, you always have to bring something new to the table. We just, uh, I told you before, uh, we're competing in, uh, with a very big uh, ERP system in uh, for a big company. Uh, prospect in Los Angeles. I was there like two months ago. And comparing an ERP to an ERP, you know, it's very hard to win a tender because uh, right. this is like, you know, apples to apples. The only way you can win is when you bring innovation. So what actually I focused over there was showing him the integrated WMS module. And I think the main focus was the, the simplicity of the app, not the brains behind the scenes, because this is what the people, this is what people are actually working in the warehouse. And that, the other thing is a very nice tool that we had created was a portal generator. A portal generator, again, it's more innovation stuff. And it's new, I think, in the ERP uh, tech. So it gives you the option to take any form in the ERP in a few minutes uh, with no coding and generate a portal. And the portal is not for, inter you know, for internal employees. It's for customers. It's for suppliers. It's for resellers. So think... And now I showed them in a few minutes, say so you have a, okay, well, you, you saw the WMS system. Now you want your suppliers to upload the ASN, advanced shipment notice. We have them, we can show them portal. We can do it in a few minutes. We want to put a television in the warehouse that shows the efficiency of uh, all the employees. You can do it in a few minutes. You want to give them uh, your customers now to create orders. One thing they had over there was uh, they have sales reps. And they to work in an ERP system, it's very, let's say, it's lean and mean. You open the sales order, you select, you select items. They wanted an e-commerce, the shopping cart experience. So we took the portal generator. In a few minutes, we created a look at a, a simplified user interface that gives them the option to create orders by an, uh, in the e-commerce style, in the shopping cart style. So again, all of these tools, you know, gives you, brings you new opportunities. And again, when you're competing with other ERPs, this is, I think, uh, what gives today priority the edge. Right. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Um, this is a somewhat related question from YouTube. Uh, this is from uh, Ori on YouTube. And Ori asks more of a sort of a career-focused question, but but coming back to the tech trends question that I asked a moment ago. But where do you think the opportunities are in the ERP and or the warehouse management system space over the next 10 years from the perspective of a person relatively recent in his career looking to be positioned for success? So what are the where are the biggest opportunities in the enterprise technology space in general? 
Well, uh, I think uh, today in, uh, in the European and WMS, there's going to be a lot of work. There's still, you know, everybody talking about uh, automatic warehouses that, you know, you're not going to rely anymore on people. But again, this is big. This is when you have big pallets. I don't think, I don't see in the near future that uh, robots or technologies are actually going to replace people for, you know, uh, uh, specific picking. And I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, combinations with AI. We are actually... Uh, doing something new in AI with WMS. We have uh, now a professor from the academy that we did, created something that does optimization for uh, assigning tasks. So everything is going to be much more efficient. It's going to be much more optimized, but still there's going to be a lot of work in uh, customizing the softwares and creating the add-ons. And we're going to think about, we talked about the hands-free and the augmented reality with the glasses and uh, all kinds of AI tools to, to show, uh, you know, uh, how to uh, how to store uh, where to store where we have empty places and how to replan and stuff like that. So, I think for the next ten years, it's going to be a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities, but it's going to be combined with new technologies. We're going to leverage the new AI system, the new hardware system, the hands-free. So, I don't see any decline in uh, requests for you know for programmers and implementers and people that uh, actually uh, need to do the real world, the boots on the ground jobs. Right, right, absolutely, and and actually, you just triggered uh, another question I had. I'll jump to it now. But um, the question I had for you is your sort of boots on the ground upbringing. You know, as a mechanic working in the military, you you probably have a different perspective than someone who maybe went the traditional route of, of college. Although, although to be clear, um, I think in Israel is it isn't it mandatory that you spend two to three years in the military. So, so everyone, everyone does that regardless of whether they go to university or not. Is that correct? Or is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The moment you finish high school, you go for three years. It's mandatory. I think now maybe it's two and a half years, but uh, back then when I was with years and only after that, you go to college and then you start, uh, you know, find a job and climb the ladder. We're here with Al Katz from Priority Software talking about his journey from being a mechanic to becoming a technology entrepreneur and pioneer in the industry. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham, and we're here with Ale Katz from Priority Software, having a conversation about his journey in the technology space as a technology entrepreneur. Let's jump back into the conversation. You bypassed the the college part. You, you did the military part because you had to partially. And, and uh, so you did the military part. You learned a little bit about technology. 
and then um, you, you sort of started your company and moved up from there. How did that initial sort of foundation of, of being a mechanic and having that boots on the ground experience, how did that affect or did it affect your view of how to build a technology company and how to build technology to solve problems? Well, basically, you know, it's, uh, as I said before, trial and error. You know, when you have to, to solve a problem and me as a, let's say, company owner, I was the last person in the company that uh, there's nobody in the hierarchy higher than me. So when I had a problem, I had to solve it. You know, the moment I got a purchase order for a customer, that's it. If I knew the technology, I didn't, I had to learn it and I have to, there's failure was not an option. I have to bring the results. So trial and error, trial and error, you know, reading books back, you know, when we started, I think uh, there was even Google was in, uh, was just starting up. There's no chat GPT. So the only way to learn is trial and error. And actually when you do trial and error and you figure something out, it sticks. It's not like chat GPT, you get something, you get the final result. You actually really understand how things work in the back end, how things work behind how the engine is built. And again, it, it, it's, it, it's, we're talking about engines. You know, there's real engine, combustion, combustion engines, and there's uh, technology, technology engines. So at the end of the day, it's part of it. This is virtual, this is physical, but it's the same thing. If you know right. how it works, if you know how to dissemble it, you know how to solve bugs, and this gives you the opportunity to think out of the, uh, out of the box. I think if you go to college, you're getting every, you're, you know, they're pushing the, you know, the, the education is pushed to you. They should, they're pushing you to a strict way of thinking. And when I was, when I had a problem, I always thought about it. Okay. How can I solve it? I didn't have any tools to solve it. The only way to solve it was to do trials and error and to figure out the best way to solve it. And this, I think this gives you, gave me the flexibility to bring new stuff to the table. People like I said in hospitals, Nobody solved the problem. How we can how we can create an application that will serve all departments. One one database when you have a totally different you know uh, orthopedic department is totally different than an internal uh, department. Uh, so or I don't know an oncology department. So thinking out of the box brought me to bring this uh, concept of questionnaires that gives you know the ability to create a CPR EPR system for all hospitals. And everybody says, okay, this is exactly what I need because. Think about it. the head of the department builds his, his uh, checklist and then all the doctors that actually do the uh you know when you're doing the when you're starting up as a doctor you go through multiple departments and each time he's working in the same seeing the same system and it's uh and it's the actually what the head of the department decided wants to show and it's like okay this is my data so people can rely can connect at the end of the day i said the simplicity of stuff and making things, you know, bringing them down from boots on the ground to see how actually people works. This is the this is what this is the cell. This is what actually brings people to work with the system because it's something they can relate it. It looks like somebody thought of how they work in you know in the warehouse in the field. I don't know in the web. It's uh, it's bringing the way you know ordinary people work and not like the, some engineer that think I think I know the best way to solve a problem and they'll do it. You know, even I had a lot of time uh, arguments with my programmers because they, they went the easy way. They couldn't solve a problem, so they solved it the easy way. I said, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to, if somebody needs to do too many clicks, too many, go to too many menus, it's not going to work. We have to work harder as programmers to make it as simple as possible. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, what about um, now, now priority software and, and soft solutions? Um, combined or both sort of a, a tier two solution. And I don't want to get too caught up in definitions of the industry here, but 
a lot of times organizations will gravitate toward a tier one solution simply because they know the name. They know the name Microsoft. They know the name Oracle or SAP. And, you know, it's just a well-known brand. doesn't mean it's any better or worse. It's just it's better known. So a question from Ryan on LinkedIn is a good one, which is how would you address a potential customer who is only considering tier one solutions or maybe the, the household name solutions? Like, how do you how do you overcome that in your in your world at Priority Software, especially knowing that you're you're big in Israel, you have, you have a very dominant market share in Israel, but outside of Israel, some parts of the world, you're still trying to break into it and you're still trying to create that awareness. Um, how do you address that? I mean, what's your message to a potential client who's only looking at the the commonly known brand name software vendors? I would go to the innovation part. What does it mean? Right. If I have a prospect, if you'll take me an hour to create a, to show him, not a presentation, a fully blown system with the portal generator, with the WMS, with the, I don't know, uh, TMS, with all the, all the add-ons. It says, uh, you know, I need a, I, I need a, I need warehousing. I need a customer portal. I need a supplier portal. I need, uh, I have sales reps. I have field service. I have production floor. I'll come and show him something that says, this is not a presentation. This is, even I'll take his logos, his pictures, his color scheme. It takes me an hour to actually, you know, uh, uh, configure the system and show him something that works and he, and he, he sees it and he says, okay, wow, this is exactly what I want. And now the focus is how we're going to, how easy it's going to be implemented, how flexible, how, how it's going to be, uh, how it can be self, uh, self-sufficient with the system. And I think the other competitors, you know, it's the brand name, but they always tell you, okay, it's, they'll show them, you know, they'll show presentations, PowerPoints, and then they'll say, okay, you need a portal, go to buy it from our third party, or we have a vendor that will do it for you. Or at the end of the day, you know, we're talking to them and showing them that it actually works. It's not. It's not something that. Uh, it's not. An, it's not a PowerPoint presentation. It's this. This is the system. This is how it looks. This is how it works. And let's do the whole flow and process. And this is the, this is the sale, because the customer says, "Okay, I have everything in one place. It's flexible. It's customizable. It's on the cloud, and that's it." I think uh, yeah. I, most of the sales. I was in another, uh, I think, customer in the UK. I've been all around the world, you know, <laughs> trying to push our products. And uh, and we, we're, again, we're competing with another uh, major European in the UK. And he said, okay, I want to, uh, I have like 750 uh, field service people and I need the option to work offline and I need the option to work with questionnaires and everything should be integrated. With, uh, and the other company said, okay, we have the ERP, but this is our vendor for uh, field service, for example. And we came and we showed him something. It's in priority. We showed him, we, we took his data, we built his questionnaires. We showed how easy now to, you know, to take pictures, load data, fill the checklist. And this is, again, this is what made the sale. We're not a brand name. They didn't hear about priority before, but when we show him something that will actually work, it's a minimum risk. It's something, you know, it's going to work. Right. It's working already. Right. So more of a, you know, being able to find that or offer that flexibility and that uh, customizable or that tailored solution for a potential client. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's, that's one of the big strengths that companies like yours bring to the table. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, when you're bringing something that you have one-stop shop, no integrations, you know, most of a product, when you start doing integrations, there's always the problem of uh, if now I need a change. So first of all, we're working with two different user interfaces because we have one product for the ERP and another product for, I don't know, WMS, field service, whatever. 
And now people need to work with two different user interfaces. Now we've made a change in the ERP. We need to contact the, another vendor to make the change in his system. And then we need to fix the integration. So it's actually everything, everything you're doing three times. Think about it, uh, about the money, the time, uh, you know, putting things from uh, Q, doing QAs, going, to, going live here. It's a, it's a, it's a two minute thing. Mm. You need it. You have a change request. You do it once, and it's you know. If I go from the portal, if I go from the WMS system, I go from the field rep, or I go from, I don't know, from production for it's using the same logic. And there's another very cool thing in Priority uh, that can actually make it work. You know, in Priority we have two types of uh, APIs. What we call REST API. This is just for data. Most of the people, most of the ERP system has uh, REST APIs uh, that you can talk about the ERP system, but it's just data. It's not bringing the UI logic. Mm. Already we have what we call the Web SDK. Web SDK actually consumes the UI logic. So now Craig can create and uh, take a different technology. Could be native iOS or Android, could be web, could be whatever, could be on a watch. And this will actually give me the logic. So if like uh, there is a rule in the ERP that I just created that gives me a warning, a message, sends an email, it will work, work immediately. Think about for example, I have like, uh, I don't know, countries and cities. The moment I select a country, now it's limiting the cities for that country. When I'm working with the REST API, I have to rewrite in the front end the logic that the moment I read the country, now select the cities from the cities table. When I'm using Priority Web SDK, everything is reflected. So the moment I select, I select the country, the control, the, the response that I'm getting back is already the city. So there is no logic on the front end. It means that you can actually bring multiple, build multiple front ends very easily, and no investment in uh, you know in handling handling multiple logics. So it's really, really what we call single point of truth. Mm. This actually brought me, you know, it was a, for me when I had my own company. It was the, what route, what path should I take? Should I put, you know, all the eggs in one basket and priority? Because the moment I put it in priority, it means that I can only sell my products with priority. It wouldn't work with any, it's integrated into priority. The easier way would say, okay, I'm just going to create my own third party and connect it to multiple ERPs. But then each time it's going to be an integration project. Hmm. So the moment I went this way, it was a gamble. But this is the this was drove the test and this would make priority. Let's say, I think it was very reasonable from their side too, to do this acquisition. Because, you know, it was actually, you know, if we, the moment we have the whole scale of the, you know, the company like priority, and we're bringing this new technologies that will actually give, uh, let's say, uh, better results for their end customers, bring innovation, bring the opportunity to, you know, to compete with other ERP systems because we're bringing things that nobody ha other has, no other competitor other has, then again, it's a win-win. It's one plus one equals three in this situation. Right, right. So, so as an entrepreneur then, you know, was it difficult for you to make that transition from being you know, because you've been an entrepreneur pretty much your whole career, a majority of your career, and then you sell your company to, you know, presumably a bigger company. Um, how does that change your life? Is it has it been difficult to adjust? What's what's it like? And I'm asking you not only because uh, I'm interested because you're a founder, but I'm a founder too, and the thought of having to work for the man uh, sometimes that's that that stresses me out, and I don't know if I, if I would enjoy it, but that's just me personally. Yeah. I'm curious to hear how you adjusted to it. Well, you know, it's uh, as I said, it's almost like most of, most of things. It's a challenge because you're regulated. You know, I was working like a startup. You know, I was thinking, okay, I have an idea for a new product, 
and that's it. I'm running towards this product. Do, I do it right now. Do this, do that. Now, I have a product department, and I have a delivery department, and I have a, a DevOps and R&D department. So now, when I think of something, I need to go through all the process it take. You know, bring people with me to sell them the idea. So we actually, right. it's a totally different way of thinking because now we have to sell your ideas. Uh, you know, to bring people to the table to actually, you know, divide the job between them. You're not, you're not, you can't do anything. You can't take your own decisions now because now it's a team. It's like, a, it's a, you have to become a team player. So it was challenging, but I think uh, we overcome it. I, you know, even when I was purchased from, uh, acquired by Priority a year and a half ago, I had a earnout of two years. So, uh, what happened after a year, so I was actually managing, I was still managing soft solutions, but after a year, I already hit the maximum earnout I can get. So I, mm. so I finished everything a year early. Mm. So now I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? What's the next job? What's my next title? So as that coming to Sagiv, you know, the CEO, and I said, okay, what should I do now? You know, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but what is my focus? And he said, continue to do what you're doing. And I said, no, no, I need some focus. I need something to do, you know, he said, so what do, you, what do you like to do? What do you think you can do? And I said, you know what I like to do? I like to find problems in companies and customers. And I like to bring technology together with the problem and bring something to the, uh, to the market. You know, I, I know R&D and I have, uh, you know, and I know business and I know uh, uh, priority. And I think uh, the next thing, uh, the logical thing to do in priority is to do innovation. Innovation. And uh, find new technology partners and bring them up to speed to the technology. Even you know, when I find technology partners, uh, it's a learning curve for them. So I think I can shorten the path. And if you can, uh, you know, and can bring this new technology partners, it's a win-win again. You're bringing them. You have the scale of all the ten, tens of thousands of customers we have uh, for priority, and then if we're bringing them to the table with this new te technology, potentially they can make a lot of money. And again, it's a win-win. So. Right. So what I'm going to do, I think, from now on is innovation and business development. We're here with A.L. Katz from Priority Software talking about his journey from being a mechanic to becoming a technology entrepreneur and pioneer in the industry. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and we are here with Ale Katz from Priority Software having a conversation about his journey in the technology space as a technology entrepreneur. Let's jump back into the conversation. You know, you, you use the word innovation a lot here, which is appropriate because I think it's it's really interesting to hear how you view technology enablement. You're, you're doing it by finding the problem first 
and then figuring out how can technology solve it. Whereas I think a lot of software companies, especially the bigger ones, I think they get caught up and stuck in their own echo chamber of, um, you know, what's right and what's wrong technologically and sort of like what their philosophy is of technology in general. And they start with the technology and then they go to the market and try and sell it and sort of try and force it on the industry. And I think what you're saying is you're leading with what's the customer problem? How can I solve it? And then how can I sell it internally within priority to, you know, to productize that potential solution, uh, which is different. I mean, it sounds easy enough. It sounds simple enough, but I don't think most software companies do that, especially the bigger ones. I think they, they do the opposite. They start with the technology, then they figure out how they're going to go sell it. Yeah. I go to, I, I go to the problem. And I say, okay, this is a problem that hasn't been solved today, and I can, I think I can solve it. And if I can solve it, there's a new market. And this is the, I think I have a, one of my customers in this is an electronics company, and they called me. You know, each time I come over there, they call me like uh, the dream uh, dream maker. Why? Because you know, each time they have a problem, you know, they have this problem. I said, you know, we have we're working with a lot of attachments. We're using Outlook, but it's very complicated to connect them to the ERP system. Could you solve this problem? Could connect Outlook directly to the ERP system and the file system to our ERP priority, actually? And I said, give me a day and two. And after I solved it, you know, it said, you don't know the difference you did for the people working, you know, in uh, import and export and uh, engineering. Now they can scan directly from Outlook, connect it directly to priority with, uh, and again, it's something that was very problematic. I got an email. You had to save it. You had to go back to the document priority. You have to upload it. Now, with one click, remember, single screen application, one click, and that's it. So we have this uh, concept running with the WMS. We have this concept with the document management. We have this concept with the TMS. We just created that, this TMS add-on. Add -on. So you can see the planning. You can see the map. You can see the trucks by dragging and dropping. Now you can see the whole route is building. You can see the mileage. You can see what time you're going to reach each customer. So, And everything you do is one screen. So this is all these concepts of, you know, simplifying stuff, bringing it to people and coming from the problem, not coming from the solution, not thinking, okay, I'm an engineer. I think there's a problem. This is how I'm going to solve it. And then I'm going to come to the market here. This is the product. I think it should work. Right. It's the other way around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's well said. And that's an important thing to think about as you, if, for those of you that are listening, that might be trying to evaluate potential software vendors. I think that's a, a thing you have to look at is, is it, is it a company that's focused on you and the solutions focused on you as an organization, or is it focused on them, you know, the technology itself? And that's, that's an important question to ask. Um, what about career development? I want to maybe shift gears and talk about you looking back on your 25 to 30 years as an entrepreneur and, and working in the technology space. Um, what career advice would you have for someone who's just starting out in the technology space today? You know, what, what would you impart upon them words of wisdom, things you did well that you would do again, and maybe things you didn't do well, or you, you maybe you, you screwed up and you wish you would have done differently. How, what sort of advice would you, would you give someone who's just starting out? First of all, there's no risk. It's not like you're opening a company and you have to buy inventory and you have to pay payrolls. You're just sitting by yourself in your basement or whatever. You're, you're, you know, you're, you don't pay rent. You're probably living in your parents' past or whatever. Or you're, I would say you're in minimum uh, costs, so you can take any job you can, you know. And the moment you're committed, there's no option for failure. If you get a purchase order for someone, you need to deliver. And this is this is this is actually what drives me. You know, I'm looking at my I have my three children now, so one of my child is learning Java, and you know it's very 
to try to learn something to solve a problem that it's like a mathematical problem or something it's very boring you have to have something you have to have a goal so a goal is you have a customer and said you know what i'm going to i'm going to prevail i'm going to bring something that will work and this is what drove me the when you have a goal i think uh and the only thing you can lose is your hours that you're spending no risk you have a goal if, you, if it works you're going to make money if you're talented you're going to make a lot of money so right. don't give up i think and this is something i can tell uh i think uh to all the parents out there don't give up on your on your teens you know i was the black sheep in my company and now i come in my in my family right i have by the way an identical twin brother his name is eric too and he went you know by his today he has a phd in computer science so he went the standard route and now he's a cdo of the cto of the company but Again, it, it was a long route and it's going to take him a long time to, you know, hit his earnout or I don't know, or the, the way of the retirement is going to be a long path that needs to right. take. So if you have the skills, if you have the patience, I think uh, give it a try. And if you're not doing well in school, it doesn't mean anything. Maybe you have, you know, uh, if you could, for me, I'm like an autodidact, you know, I, uh, I like to learn by myself. I think uh, this is the best way to learn. You have your own. You can, you know, you have your own time, your own system. Just read the book, give it a try, and start as soon as possible diving, jumping into the water. Start coding as soon as possible because this is the only way. And when there's a goal, I don't think that you can miss. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you and your brother had such different views and approaches as it relates to traditional paths and education and things like that. Um, you know, you going straight from military to entrepreneurship and then him kind of going the PhD route. That's an interesting contrast in, in approaches, not that either one's better than the other necessarily, but uh, certainly you've got to do what's best for you and what kind of fits your your goals. But you you mentioned something that's even more important, which is kind of have that end state in mind of what it is you want to do. Like, in other words, your son, he's not learning Java just to learn Java. He's learning Java because he's got some other end state in mind of how he might apply Java to his career going forward. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, he's looking at me and he says, you know, he's telling my my wife, why do I need to study? Look at dad. And I think this is bad advice for, uh, you know, for children. But uh, I think, uh, you know, everybody wants to, to do fast money. So I think uh, this is the only way I can think of a shortcut. If you want to do a shortcut, you have to, you have to, kick, you know, set your goals. If you have someone who's actually going to pay for your time, it's even better because it's going to, this is going to watch what's going to push you forward. And uh, what, do you, what, what can you lose? What is the risk? It's not like you're taking a loan from the bank to you know you buy inventory or or rent uh, some some place. I think this is the best route you can go. Right. Nothing to lose, and the only worst worst case scenario you'll succeed. Right, right. That's a good way to look at it. So I think you you alluded to this a little bit yes uh, a few minutes ago when you were talking about innovation and how you went to your CEO and said, you know, what's next for me? How do I fit into this company going forward? And he told you, you know, continue to do innovation and business development. What do you see beyond that? Is there anything else that you see next for your career and for, and for the company? Anything that's sort of like on the horizon that you know you want to accomplish or that you're, you're striving towards uh, going forward? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of new products now. All the time, we you know, and then, but I, uh, I was thinking of something uh, that is more like, you know, everybody's looking today at graphs and charts and numbers. And now we're thinking of building a new kind of generator. You know, we're talking about platforms. 
So we mm. build, you know, we have the WMS as a platform, we have the app generator, we have the portal generator that is a very cool tool. But now thinking about something as like a, um, a visual generator, think about it, you can take any picture that you want, upload a scheme of something, upload, uh, you know, the production floor machines, upload a map of something and create like uh, rules of uh, like uh, uh, traffic lights rules. And, and then combine them together and say, and change the way we look at things. Today, we look at graphs and charts and it's, you know, you have to drill down. It's very boring. It's very, let's say it's something that uh, it's hard to grasp if you're not looking, if you don't know. And it's, if you see something that is very visual, I think uh, this is the next thing I'm, the next thing I want to try in part, how to make this visual uh, generator that you can put mm. rules and upload, you know, specs, schemes, pictures, whatever, and combine them together. And uh, of course, there's a lot of things uh, I told her that I was doing with the AI, with hands-free that we are mm -hmm. trying to find it from the glasses to the watch to uh, AI with video stuff. So there's a lot of things. Every day, I know when I do a tour with the customers, they say, you know what, we really, we really miss something that could do this or could do that. And you start thinking, how could you solve this problem? How could you bring new innovation to the, you know, to priority or to the customers? Right. Well, that's cool to think about, you know, how on one hand you have a more structured process that you have to go through being part of a bigger company that you described before the R and D department and the business development and the finance department, you know, everyone sort of had, needs to get aligned with whatever investments you might be making from, from a point of innovation. But the good news is now you've got more scale, you know, you can, you can take these ideas and you've got more resources behind you. You can scale it up faster potentially because you've got a whole company behind you and an ISV network or ecosystem behind you. So that's kind of exciting to really maybe think to another level that maybe you, you weren't able to before because you were more focused on solving an immediate problem to bring home an immediate paycheck or an immediate revenue, whereas now you can think longer term. Um, do you find that that shift is happening You know, in the last year and a half since you've become part of a bigger company or, or, or am I off base there? It is happening. I mean, only now because uh, at least at least half a year ago, I was still managing uh, soft solutions inside Priority. Now that I'm starting to deal with innovation, another thing uh, in Priority is M&A. I think we acquired uh, six companies in the last two years, and there's when you start up, meet with startup companies that has new patents or innovation stuff. Uh, if it's something that is really interesting, uh, it's in a, then you have the scale behind you to actually acquire them and the seeds stage or uh, actually invest in them to bring and to leverage this new technology or this new uh, AI thing that now we're looking into. So, uh, of course, this is the power of scale. At the right. end of the day, you have the people, you have the money, and you have the opportunity to actually go and look for new interesting stuff. And there's a lot of out there. I mean, in Israel, there are, I think, tens of thousands of startup companies that have you just need to find the right one something that would be that I can actually it's not you know bring immediately something to the market that can affect I don't know either uh, purchasing or warehousing or trucks or even you know uh, things that prediction and stuff like that so you just you just need to look for it it's over there it's already out right. there right right now, how do people learn more about Priority Software? If uh, those listening that weren't familiar with Priority before today, um, maybe they're evaluating potential options or researching potential software options for their organizations. How can they learn more about Priority Software? What's the best way? I guess a website. You have uh, 
a lot of stuff over there. We have, I think, a lot of YouTubes. Uh, there we have a lot of webinars. Um, and it depends, you know, if uh, you're looking for something specific, there's a, you know, there's a lot of, in, it's divided to industries and it's divided to uh, modules. So uh, if you're interested in something, you could uh, just uh, go to the website and even, uh, you know, drop an email or something and we're more than happy to demonstrate. And it's going to be a live demonstration, not a PowerPoint presentation. Say, right. I, have a, I have a company, I want to solve something. No worries. You're going to see something that I know. You're going to see the result already. Wait a minute. I have to stop you though for a second. Al, are you saying that some software vendors use PowerPoint for their demos? That, that can't surely that can't be true. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, it is true. Believe me. I know. Yeah, I've seen many, many of those. Uh, it's funny how that works, right? Uh, and at some point, you have to see the real software. So that's a good, a good point. But even even when you see the real software, it's not they they didn't take the time to actually take the process and generate something that you know resembles that we actually work. And, then, and I said, because we have this, I talked about the portal generator. We have this thing to make it look like your own portal. Like the ERP looks like, you know, with your color schemes and pictures and logo and everything. So it looks like something that was generated, built from the ground up for your needs. And again, this is what, what that makes itself. People can connect to something that they know, that they're familiar with. It's not just the, you know, boring ERP screens. It's something that looks like they're something that was built from the ground up for them. All right. Thank you, Ale. Appreciate your time. Great story and a very interesting story and love to have you back on the show. And uh, we'll, we'll cover a couple topics that we mentioned and threads that we pulled on in the conversation. We're going to dive into in a little bit more detail here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, you know, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you, or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had uh, Ale on the show and a uh, really interesting story. That was sort of a first time, um, not only a first time guest, but the first time we've had someone on the show really solely to talk about their journey. And their personal story of how they grew up in the space and the different options you have career-wise to, to pursue a, a career in technology, as well as what some of the technology trends are to be aware of uh, in general. We also discussed that too. But what were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Yeah, well, I think you need a spinoff um, podcast of tech entrepreneurs um, because it, it's always a different journey. And I think it's a, a great overall um, showcase of the the non-traditional paths you can take 
to a career in technology or just having those ideas. Um, so what a great energy of just overall inspiration um, and innovation. I know you guys talked a lot about innovation um, in that conversation and, and the importance of it. Um, I think I think it's so interesting, um, the merger and acquisition overall um, conversation to um, the acquisition of of his company by priority software and him still remaining a part of it. I think that kind of speaks to the overall um, nuance of the culture that he built and priority kind of wanting to keep that as um, you know, a, a main driver of the business. Is that kind of how you see that working out as well a lot of times when you do acquire a company and you kind of want to keep the executive team or you want to keep that culture just to not only create some stability, but build upon it because it's so successful? Yeah, very much so. And there's uh, we talked earlier about the McKinsey study about digital transformation failures. I know there's a McKinsey study that also talks about merger and acquisition integration failures. And I remember going back to when I was in grad school and in business school, we talked a lot about in one of my classes, we talked a lot about mergers and acquisitions and integration. It's an area that always fascinated me and still does fascinate me. But the reason I bring it up is they, there's a study that I, somewhere over 80% of merger and acquisitions fail, or they fail to deliver any sort of business value because of the failure to focus on culture and the failure to integrate the cultures. And, uh, you know, what ends up happening is a lot of times you get, you get finance people that just kind of look at the numbers and cents and say, Hey, if we go acquire this company, it gives us X amount of revenue. It adds X amount of EBITDA to our bottom line. We can get more efficiencies, whatever. And it sounds good on paper, but then you look at the cultures and they just clash. And that happens a lot. And uh, it sounds like he's, he's found a way to avoid that part, probably partially because he was a partner of priorities or an ISV or a, a, a independent software vendor that focused on priority. So he was already sort of aligned with the company and the culture. I would presume we didn't really dive into this in the conversation, but I would think that probably made it a little bit easier for their integration efforts than if he was just a sort of a random company that they had never worked with or didn't have a lot of experience with. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's definitely something that you kind of get to try out, if you will, <laughs> try out for the um, the cultural fit and get to know the executive vision and things like that. So th that's definitely a, a nice um, kind of perk of being involved in in the community already. Um, and I, I know he talked a lot about kind of innovation. You both did. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of give us um, give us a, a lens or your feedback around how do you make sure that you keep a culture of innovation while staying grounded? Maybe as an entrepreneur yourself, you can answer that question, but also how you counsel executive teams for large global corporations that want a lot of innovation, because that's a great strategic um, overall alignment to have as an executive team, but also want to stay grounded in what your capabilities are, as we kind of talked about earlier, and what your overall business needs are. So how do you balance that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, Ale hit it, the nail on the head, in my opinion, in terms of focusing on the sort of the customer needs first and what the problem is you're trying to solve, and then you could build a culture and build a company around that. Um, you know, I know with third stage, I was at the time I started the company and still am very passionate about creating an independent consulting firm that helps clients through digital transformations and one that really acts as an advocate of our clients, not as an advocate of selling certain types of software or peddling one sort of product or even just a small subset of those products. 
So I, I think that's helped us have a clear vision of what kind of culture we have to create. For example, there's a lot of trust that people expect from us as a company. And so when we hire people, we have to hire people that aren't just trustworthy, but that you meet and you trust, you trust. I mean, you just like them, right? You clients have to like us. They don't have to just think that we're smart. I think we're all smart, but that's not why we're successful. We're successful because clients trust us and because we're agnostic and because we're not drinking the Kool-Aid of vendors in general or any one certain vendor, we're strictly looking at what does a client need? And now let's figure out what technology best fits, regardless of what the vendor community wants us to say or wants us to tell our clients, we look at more of what the client needs are first. So I think that's where you start is what the customer needs are, what you're trying to accomplish in your mission as a company. And then you build the culture and you build the team and the company around that. Sounds simple. No problem. Yeah, it's super right. easy. That's why I screwed it up the first time. Uh, first time I, my first company was a somewhat of a disaster uh, longer term because I didn't focus on culture. I didn't have that clarity of vision and, and that sort of thing. So it, the good news is that I learned a lot from, you know, those battle scars to then take it to third stage to to be able to start what, what I think is a much better company than anything anything I've ever been involved with. Well, I think it's pretty cool too. And hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And that's why we talk about failure so we can learn from them. Um, so, and, and speaking yeah, exactly. of that, I, I think a lot of tech op- entrepreneurs has failed more than they have succeeded. So they're, you know, a wealth of knowledge in that, um, in kind of building up that muscle of resiliency and innovation to keep, to keep moving forward and keep creating. So thank you for that great conversation. And, you know, I, I feel like a little bit of a coaching session would be a great, you know, um, option for, for you guys to kind of do around innovation in, in enterprise tech. So such a great conversation and thank you for hosting. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for Ale for being here and, uh, great stuff he he had to share with us and uh, some great advice too. So we appreciate his, uh, his story. So we're going to uh, take a quick break and bring our next guest on, who's going to be Christy Barber, who is from the third stage consulting team. And she deals a lot with our small and mid-sized clients. So she's dealing with companies that are on QuickBooks or QuickBooks Enterprises or QuickBooks Enterprise or some other more basic finance and accounting system. And they're looking to upgrade to something a little bit more robust and more of an ERP focused enterprise wide sort of system. So we thought it'd be great to have her back on the show. She's been on the show several times, but we thought we'd have her on the show to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks and things you should consider if you're using QuickBooks or any other sort of accounting and finance solution that you've outgrown and you're trying to to upgrade from. This is going to be a great conversation for you, um, even if you're not on QuickBooks. So be sure to stick around for that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. My name is Eric Kibberling, here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, you can also check out YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream new episodes every Wednesday. And uh, you can also just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, though, to see all the different formats you can watch uh, the show on, and you can also see past episodes there. So be sure to check out uh, our library of 143-plus uh, glorious episodes that you can find there. So excited for our next guest, uh, Christy Barber from the Third Stage Consulting Team. She's been on the show before. She tends to specialize and focus on some of our small and mid-market clients. And so we thought we'd have her on the show to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. So uh, I'll turn it over to you, to Kyler, to sort of lead that conversation with Christy. Thanks so much, Eric. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Christy Barber, who is our small to medium-sized business specialist. Um, as we've been talking about a lot this episode about entrepreneurship, she's going to be a great guest to have on to ensure that we understand what is it like to grow and scale a business from a technology stack perspective. So with that, welcome, Christy. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, if you wouldn't mind, if our audience doesn't already know you, could you give us just a little bit of an introduction, your background and your role here at Third Stage? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I've been with Third Stage since the beginning. My specialty comes with small businesses. My background's in accounting, process improvement, looking at systems, making sure workflows are running in the best way that they can to make your business run efficiently. I love piecing all of that together, come from an entrepreneurial family. Um, for those of you that see me, I'm, I do a lot of stuff with small business for a third stage, but yeah. Yes, I think Christy is the only one on our YouTube channel that has her own playlist. So congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <See you. laughs> So today we're kind of, we're dissecting specifically QuickBooks, but as, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, there's a lot of implementation or software selection advice that you have in here for just scaling. We've seen, you know, an, an astronomically high growth for that small to medium SMB tier in the last few years, especially when it comes to technology. So a lot of these different pieces um, can be scaled to other software. But with that, let's kind of get into QuickBooks. If you wouldn't mind giving us just a quick client persona that would utilize QuickBooks. QuickBooks will be anybody that's just getting started. You may not know, you know how big your business is going to be. Maybe it's just an idea you had and you want to test it. QuickBooks is a great place to get started there. It requires minimal knowledge because the software will help you set up a lot of things on its own good or bad when you look at it that way but it's nice for a business owner that's just getting started it could be maybe you're making something as simple as jewelry and selling it or you have a service that you're selling and it's just an easy way to get started um but yeah that's what i see most clients using it in the beginning so it's usually um kind of a baseline system before pre-ERP, if you will. Yeah. However, I have seen, I had a client this year with Third Stage, $500 million company still on QuickBooks. Yeah, I was just about to ask yeah. you. I have seen some, I would call them like lingerers, I guess, <laughs> if that's not too creepy, in the marketplace that use QuickBooks to you know, a, a really astonishing revenue amount or overall, you know, business process. Um, sophistication level. Yeah, it's it's amazing what they end up using it for. And a lot of it is they have complementary softwares working along with it that help, whether it's managing inventory or it's a software that it's extracting data out to build better reports. 
Um, they have a POS system that maybe is running separate and the, the data can come into QuickBooks to do. But I have seen a handful of companies. It, it's amazing what the software can do because we tend to think of QuickBooks as, oh, you know, once you get about four or five million dollars, you probably are outgrowing it, which is not necessarily the truth. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So let's kind of dig in. Let's start with the positive. Let's start with some of the good pieces of QuickBooks. When does QuickBooks in a client scenario work really well? Really well. I think, like I mentioned, when you're starting up a business, QuickBooks can help you set up your chart accounts. It's going to give you the basic ones that you need. And then from there, you can go and customize it to what you need it to be. So that part's simple. It's really easy to sync your bank and your credit card feeds in when you want to reconcile everything. It, it's coming in. You can set up rules. So you see certain expenses that come in. You say, hey, this is always a dues and subscriptions. I want to write a rule so that it always goes there. Piece of cake. Um, you, you can also get the, you know, the, I don't know, the main reports that you would need, you know, your profit and loss, balance sheet, and open AR, open AP. It has those. They're already made. You just click a button, you know, it prints it for you. You can also export it if you're, you know, a ninja at Excel and build out really cool spreadsheets. You can dump the data in there and manipulate it into what you want it to be. Um, I think it's easy because most CPAs know how to use the software. When you share it with them, they can go in, they can make their tax adjusting entries for you. They can easily pull information they need as well. Um, trying to think the other plus I think is if a business owner is just starting out, it's a software that they can kind of understand and and maybe use on their own without necessarily building out a full team yet. Um, it does get to a point, it, you know, if the if the knowledge and the skill set isn't there, then yeah, you're you're hiring a team to manage it for you. But it, it's a pretty intuitive software, and over the years, has how it's migrated from desktop version to online version. You're in the cloud; you can access it anywhere. So it's a great kind of first step training wheels approach to starting a business. Maybe you're not, you know, on the finance side quite yet, um, and it's still something that you could potentially manageably use. What about the support for QuickBooks? I would assume that that's something that a lot of kind of newer entrepreneurial businesses need. What does that look like? They have a variety of different things. They do a lot of webinars that you can watch. Here's here's what QuickBooks is offering as far as you know something new to the platform or you know, watching videos and learning how to do things. They do have a chat that it, it can be helpful at times. Other times it's not because you want to talk to a live person to kind of figure things out. They do have a live support where you can talk to somebody on the phone. It, it just depends what you're needing as far as is it beneficial to, to answer your questions. I've found over the years, a lot of what I need is YouTube videos and yeah, you know, or, or it's something that I can just quickly chat QuickBooks on and say, hey, you know what, I had a client that paid me and for some reason the money didn't hit the bank account. Why is that? And then they look and they're like, oh, it got held up here. Let us release it. And then it comes through. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that there's minimal integration type stuff as, as opposed to an ERP where you really would need right. expensive help to put all the pieces together. Right. Absolutely. Um, and offering kind of the, those integrations, as you mentioned, kind of earlier in this conversation that are 
attached to different areas of the business potentially. Mm-hmm. So let's go into the bad and remember we're going to go into the ugly. So, um, so what would be some, some maybe more negative or considerations when looking at QuickBooks? Some of the things is around APIs. So a good example is TikTok. So people can sell items on TikTok. TikTok, TikTok doesn't have an integration into QuickBooks yet. So you can't manage your inventory, you can't manage your fees, you can't manage your income. You have to manually put in all of those items each month if you want to have a good picture of you know what what it looks like. So I think there's there's some of that where QuickBooks technology, they're trying to keep up with all the trends out there. It might just be a tiny bit behind because the infrastructure isn't there necessarily to support it, where an ERP has open API and you can go pick up anything you want. There's softwares that you can pay to to go grab the data for you. That's one thing. Second would be management of inventory. QuickBooks does not manage inventory. It likes to tell you it can, it cannot. It makes it way worse than you would see. And a, a good example is I, I had a client and you know, they're trying to manage the inventory and they, they're writing invoices out of QuickBooks and it's not pulling out of inventory. It's just saying, hey, we sold all of these things and we don't have true numbers. And so for them, they decided moving to a third party uh, company to manage all their distribution made sense. And then they just sent them an inventory adjustment report, you know, each week and they put the journal entry into QuickBooks. So there's things like that where if it makes sense for you, yeah, having a third party go manage all your inventory is great. But if the cost is, you know, outweighs what, what you're looking for, where you can do it internally, then you're having to shop around and say, hey, what, what software works complementary with QuickBooks in the meantime? Is it Katana? Is it Fishbowl? Is it, you know, half a dozen out there that would work? So those two, and then lastly, I'll throw on the reporting. QuickBooks Online doesn't have the best reporting still. It's it's better, but desktop still had better ways to sort and and look through the data. So you're still having to export it and manipulate it in ways that you need to to be able to look at the KPIs within your company. Sure, and that's always hard to standardize when you're you know exporting a bunch of Excel sheets and then everyone's not quite aligned on on the numbers that you're looking at as a business. So that that all makes sense. So so what about the ugly? I thought you were going to save the inventory to the ugly, but oh, you know, technically that is ugly. We should we, we let's cut it. Let's move, let's move it over there because <laughs> it is really ugly and it makes life so difficult. And I mean, I I did tax accounting for a while. I still do a lot of fractional CFO services, and and I see that show up a lot, and it just makes me cringe because I don't you don't ever have a true cost of goods sold. I don't have true inventory numbers and. If you don't have that, how do you know how your company's doing? And that's where when you move to maybe a more basic ERP system, it has that functionality. And all of a sudden, you as the business owner and, and your team, you have a you have more trust in, in the system and the numbers that it's telling you. Yeah. And in all ways, inventory is is such an important area to really have a tight grasp on anyway you know, with all of the shifting in the supply chain, especially for 
a small to medium sized business, as you know, you know, better than anyone, inventory is really hard because you may not have a surplus of capital to keep additional inventory on or vice versa, you may lose sales because you don't have the, um, you know, the essential inventory. So that's definitely something that I would say is a huge drawback because it's a, it's a big need, you know, for a business oh, yeah. of that size. And even looking at the costing of your inventory, you, you know, some businesses, they do average costs, some, some do FIFOs, you know, some do weighted costs. There's all these ways that it can be done. QuickBooks has one way and it has to be done that way. So if your organization wants to move to a different way of costing out your inventory, that, that isn't there. Absolutely. Okay. So we have inventory, anything else on like the ugly side that is like a, you know, a real drawback to what you've seen, maybe like scalable growth um, is a lot of times what we see um, on that side. Yeah. You get to the point where you outgrow it and, you know, some of these companies that you see in there, you know, three, four, 500 million, it, it's amazing what it can still do for them, but there is a lot of work that they're doing on the back end to keep the software alive. And a lot of times it's just, it wasn't the right time to scale and, and then they just stay with QuickBooks. But I think there gets to be a point where the pain is so great with keeping a software that can't grow with you, it outweighs the pain that it's gonna be to implement something better. And I've, I've, I've seen that a lot. You, you start to see um, just, I think a lot of it is, you don't trust the data. That's one thing. If if you're in a manufacturing, you can't really build out a bomb inside QuickBooks. It's impossible. You you know and things like that. It it sometimes there's a lot of clicks. Whereas when you're using an ERP software, maybe you can use Tab and maybe there's a drop down here and there. QuickBooks Online is still trying to get caught up with some of the better UI out there. Absolutely. And and let's talk about that a little bit. Like when you are ready to scale, when you are kind of, you've done that cost benefit analysis of saying, okay, you know, we, we really are limping along or we're using way too many internal resources to customize a process around QuickBooks limitation. What are some things that you should consider when looking at this might be our first ERP system, this might be our first kind of interoperable ERP system, we might have a, a bunch of different bolt-ons that we've been using. What are some main really um, strategic pieces that you need to look at as a business to say, okay, we're going to scale to the next step? I think some of the big things are, well, first of all, look at your costs. What can you afford? And then from there, kind of get an average cost. What is this going to cost me? Can I, can I afford to do it today? Do I have the bandwidth to do it? Do, do my employees, can they, are, they on, are they bought in that, hey, we've outgrown this. We've outgrown working off 200 Excel sheets and, and we need something else. What, you know, what is their buy-in? The, those are two big things. And then I would say where the company wants to go, what, are the, what those goals are, can QuickBooks keep up with those goals? If not, then now's the time to look into the, like a ERP. And like you said, more of a, an introduction ERP. We're not going, you know, SAP out the door. We're looking at something more like a Sage Intact or a NetSuite or an Acumatica, something that's a lot smaller and can still grow and scale with you for a long time before you outgrow it. And even then, if you were to outgrow certain parts of it, the software can still grow with you. It's just a different version of it. 
We're here with Christy Barber talking about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. We're going to have a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 144. We're here with Christy Barber talking about the good, the bad, the ugly of QuickBooks. Let's jump back into the conversation. Say you are considering maybe an Acumatica, maybe even like an Infor, an Epicor or something like that um, to go to because say you are something like heavy manufacturing. What are um, some questions within the evaluation process that you want to make sure that you're asking your vendor or asking your digital transformation coach like our team here at Third Stage to ensure that you're getting specifically on the finance side, the requirements and support you need? So on the finance side, you want to know, you know, how does it handle RMAs? How do I handle if I need to put a hold on a client because they haven't paid me? How do I, you know, link things in, do bank reconciliations? I would say on the finance side, 99.9% of all ERP softwares will meet your needs. There's those little unique things of what are in your finance processes and what are in your operational processes that might differ a little bit on the finance side, but more than likely your, your needs will be met. More so what you need to start asking questions around is the operational side of things as well as can this software do X, Y, Z. Example, I, I write, you know, my bill of materials, I have phantom bombs inside of it. I have sub-assemblies, I have kidding. How is it gonna handle that? Um, because you always, and I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts is operations is usually the driver of any ERP selection because as much as I love finance and I love all my finance people out there, we're not that important when it comes to picking picking a software. <laughs> we we have to um, you know get used to it and and be able to make it work with the rest. But the operational side of it is what's so important. So let's talk a little bit about that operational side because you're you're totally right. You know, letting the business needs operationally drive the technology is going to be key there. Traditionally, and this is a total stereotype, but a lot of times accounting 
is is notorious for having a lot of manual processes that often become automated when you do look at a new ERP system. So it's one of the departments that we see a lot of resistance just because of misunderstanding of roles. So can you kind of talk about how you get in front of that or you work through that from a situational standpoint and a people standpoint if you are considering automating a lot of your accounting tasks with, say, this new technology? Yeah. So I think the biggest fear always is people are afraid, oh my gosh, my job's going to go away. I got to go find something else. And it's more so, no, your job is still here. We're, we're using your skill set in a different way. With a lot of new technologies that are out there, especially like OCR, um, AI stuff, all of the invoices come in, an email, it scans them, it puts them into your software. And, but you're still having to look and, and make sure that, hey, did they go to the correct GL account? Is this the correct vendor? Is the correct amount? There's there's that spot checking. So things have not been eliminated. It just may mean you're not spending eight hours a week entering invoices and in to be paid. It may be it's two hours a week. And then your skills are used in another way of how are we growing the company, you know, from a financial perspective. How are how are our numbers tying in and really diving into what do our numbers mean at the end of the day? You know, our costs, our people costs, our material costs, all of that. Absolutely. And and understanding that that's really on the executive leadership to define those roles and responsibilities and more importantly, communicate them. You can define them all they want, all you want, but if they don't actually understand what they are or you don't communicate them effectively, then that's where that business disruption, especially on the accounting side, which can be a significant disruption, whether it's accounts payable or accounts receivable, you need to make sure that you understand the shifting and that your frontline employees really understand that shifting. Yeah. You got to have the buy-in from top yeah. down. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on, on the accounting side. I know you had mentioned that they don't matter so much, but I think what, what you're so right on is that it is standardized, you know, within mm -hmm. the industry, but there is a lot that goes into those processes that maybe just one or two people know or really own or have that tribal knowledge around. You mentioned kind of the export spreadsheet pandemic situation where, you know, you have them all floating around and who really knows um, yeah. what's going on. So so that's something that is important when you're considering switching to an ERP system, that all of that is going to be really housed and standardized within one core system. And it needs to be because if those numbers are off, it throws off the reporting and analysis for the rest of the business. And I think that's also things businesses can do in the meantime when they're prepping to move towards something new. There's so much tribal knowledge that lives in accounting departments because it's usually a lower turnover than other parts of a company. And people are very good and very knowledgeable at what they do. So you can start working today and, and drawing out what are those processes that we're doing today? What are things in our process that, hey, you know what, maybe this could be better. We could change this and really refining what you have today in preparation. So when you do get a new system, yeah, a lot of the workflows are built into it, but you can bring in maybe some of those unique touch points that you want to have to highlight the culture of your organization, as well as whatever customer service the finance side needs to show their clientele. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That makes um, so much sense to just capture that as 
good business practices. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we, when we go in, especially, you know, you on that side to say, do you need a new ERP system? A lot of times our answer is no, but you do need a lot of business process work and documentation of your processes and optimizations through that. But your current technology is serving its purpose. Just your operations aren't serving your technology. Um, so it needs to be a, a well-oiled machine, as they say. So, mm -hmm. so you kind of talked about the, you know, the the good, bad, and the ugly, the considerations, the people side. Let's talk a little bit about the implementation or even deconstruction of QuickBooks. What are some things that you need to consider when you are moving from QuickBooks from a functionality standpoint to a new system? You kind of br briefly touched on some of the things that you could be doing to prep for that. What are some other things that you should have in your strategy toolbox for implementation planning? Uh, I would say first one is going through your chart of accounts. Do you have it set up the way you like it? Now is the time if you want to make any changes to it, add accounts, change a numbering structure. Now's the time to be able to do that in, in preparation to put into a new system. It's also a good time to go through and clean up your customer list, your vendor list, make sure there's no duplicates in there. Make sure things are all spelled correctly. It's the right, all the right contact information because those three items will be pulled out of QuickBooks and put into the new ERP. All of your products and services that are listed out in QuickBooks, which are essentially your inventory items that they would show up on an invoice, making sure those um, are, the, are the SKUs set up the way you want them to be. Is the naming conventions the way you want them to show up? Again, that's a good place to start because all the data is going to come into a new system and it's fresh and you can put whatever process you want around that, whatever system is system, you know, however you want to systematize it to, to fit those goals. And so there's a lot of just cleaning of data. And then from there, you can always keep, uh, you know, a subscription to QuickBooks for however many, you know, years or whatnot you want to have it because with an implementation, you only bring over one year of data. And those are usually trial balance data items okay. as well. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And with kind of our phase zero planning checklist, that is one of the main pieces that we consider is that data migration portion. But I think for QuickBooks, a lot of times it it's there's another layer because you are potentially, you know, going into a system that might not match exactly what you've been doing before. Um, and that's a lot of times when you come in, you know, to help to help solidify and ensure that the business goals are being achieved and the future state target operating model is, you know, really um, is really solid as opposed to the vendor saying you need to do A, B, and C. So, you know, there's, there's um, definitely levels to understanding the needs and the requirements of, of the overall business. So, and even all the data prep ahead of time, it saves you time and money as well because you're not your implementation team isn't waiting on you to you know get things done you're, you're working on it ahead of time which speeds up the turnaround time absolutely and so for a, a kind of a final question and i know this is going to be an it depends question because it always is but what are some um, some metrics or some ROI or some you know target value that you should be looking for when you do switch from QuickBooks to a new ERP system? What are some key metrics or key performance metrics that you want to make sure that you're monitoring? 
I always look at, I don't know if it's really a KPI, but I always look at time. How much time are my employees spending on tasks? Has the new software eliminated some of those tasks because it's automated them, like you mentioned, or has it made it harder and, and my employees are spending more time doing something? And is there a learning curve around that just because it's a new system or is it clunky? And you want to be able to look at look at that because I'd, I never want people to spend so much time that they get stressed out and they, and they dislike the software and the rest of the company loves the software because it's doing everything it needs for them. So that's um, one part of it. I think the other KPIs around it would be just your typical finance ones, you know, that you would normally look at, you know, how, how many days does it take for me to close out the month? You know, maybe with the old system, it took me three weeks. Now I can do it in six days. Like that's pretty, that's a great metric to see because now the software is helping your team and you know that the accounts are accurate. You, you, you believe in your numbers. You're not having to go back and make any adjustments. Yeah. And you trust that data, which I think is a really yeah. great insight from this conversation. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, when you do have a system that might not be as proficient, it is hard to trust your data. And then you spent all that time and resources going back to recheck. Is this right? Is this right? Um, as opposed to being able to fully know that you have good data going in and then you have good metrics and strategic decision-making power coming out. Yeah. That's it's it's huge. Well, this is such a good conversation and so helpful um, for anyone that's considering moving from a more bolt on type of application or even a best of breed solution to more of a core ERP, um, especially in that small to mid sized business market. So if you do have questions about um, QuickBooks specifically, you can head to our website in the thought leadership section and search QuickBooks or to our YouTube channel. As I mentioned, Christy has a variety of videos that we've done on what that looks like from a QuickBooks implementation to a migration to all steps within that, as well as some top systems for small to medium-sized businesses that you want to be sure to put on your short list. So um, thank you so much, Christy, for joining us today. Yeah, and we can't you. wait to have you back again. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Kyler and Christy. Thanks for that great conversation and uh, really interesting stuff. And always good to have uh, Christy on the show. What are your thoughts, Kyler? Oh yeah. Always great to have Christy. She is certainly a wealth of knowledge and I think a fourth generation entrepreneur herself in that. So it's a great kind of um, attachment to understanding what that looks like. And, and Christy really kind of eats, sleeps and breathes the third stage mantra of independence. If you've ever been in a meeting with her, she certainly has never backed down to a vendor or be scared to say what's best for the business. So she's such a great asset to, to learn from. I think with this conversation, Eric, it it's one of those things where it, it showcases the importance of the requirements, the phase zero planning and the overall selection um, process. So as kind of fall resources that we always like to leave our audience with, I wanted to point out just a few that are some of my favorites when considering this conversation. Um, we have the software selection buyer's guide, which not only goes through our, our top systems, but also how to select software. Um, and is a playbook around that. So that link is below um, in the description, wherever you'd like to get that. You can also scan the QR code on your screen here. Um, it's a free download um, that's available in the thought leadership section of our website. The second um, piece I'll give you is the phase zero planning playlist. Um, 
an overall uh, checklist that we have that we mentioned in last week's episode. So if you want to hear more about that, go ahead and check out last week's episode, as well as scan the QR code here on your screen, as well as the link below to download those assets. So those are great. If you're kind of in that consideration phase, looking at scaling up from something like QuickBooks or even any sort of, you know, smaller system that you're like, how do I need a core ERP or what does that look like? Um, so great resources to kind of walk you through that from a technology agnostic and independent standpoint. Um, but big thank you to Christy for that conversation. She's always a, a great wealth of knowledge and available more on our YouTube channel if you want to hear more from her. Especially if you're in the mid-market, high growth company, she's the she's the person you want to hear from or one of the people you want to hear from from our team. And uh, we appreciate having her on the show. So great conversation and a great topic for sure. So thank you for guiding that conversation, Kyler. And Thank you for a great episode. Thank you to the audience for the great questions. And thank you to our guests, both Christy Barber and Ale Katz. I appreciate having them both on the show. And uh, again, you can check out new episodes of this show every Wednesday. There's new episodes. You can go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to find those uh, current episodes as well as the past ones. So be sure to check it out there. So I uh, hope you all have a great week. Thank you for joining us here today. We'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. 